Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and thank you so much for joining me today for this message. Today we're going to continue in our Beauty of Grace series. And so let's pick up from the last episode when we looked at the cutlery of grace, and we saw how God's Word can be likened to a cutlery set with various instruments that can cut us from time to time, but all are in the hands of a master chef and for our good, just like a scalpel and other instruments are in the hands of a master surgeon and are done for good. So now we're going to consider one final point that will help segue us into today's topic, the comfort of grace. God's word is like that cutlery set, but it is alive and actively working always to better us. And not one word of God will fail or fall useless, as Isaiah 55 has told us. Joshua concurs with that, and so does the testimony given of Samuel. In Joshua, Joshua tells the children of Israel, not a word has fallen to the ground, has not been fulfilled of all the good that God had promised them when he promised to bring them into the promised land. In the testimony of Samuel, we read, that not a word that Samuel said from the Lord when he spoke on behalf of God, not one of those words fell to the ground useless. We looked at an example of the living word that was alive for 4,000 years from Genesis 3.15 to when it was delivered to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and she became pregnant with the Son of the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Gabriel comes to her and tells her this, Gabriel points out to her in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, nothing shall be impossible with God. It's interesting because that word nothing is a compound Greek word made up of three different Greek words, and it means absolutely not one rhema word that God has ever spoken will ever lose its power or ability to accomplish its work. Not one of them will. There is not one dud seed in the word of God, beloved friend. It is alive and quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and in the hand of the master surgeon, the master chef who always uses it for our good. This alone in itself is a comfort. But today we want to discuss the comfort of grace in more detail because grace is very comforting. The comfort of grace is described as coming in the form of a few things in the scriptures. So we're going to explore those today. First of all, it is known and called in Scripture as the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the agent of grace. I'd like for us to read Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit 
they were multiplied. I call this the church growth scripture. You know, there's a lot of seminars now and a lot of pastors seeking out this and that and the other answer to how to grow your church. God tells us in the Word of God how to effectively and biblically grow the church. And this is one scripture that tells us that. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. All the churches were multiplied. This is God's church growth plan here. Notice that within a few short years of the church's birth, it grew and multiplied. It grew from 12 disciples, less the one who turned away and betrayed the Lord, to 120 in the upper room at Acts chapter 2. And then within days or months later, there were 3,000 saved in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then very soon after that, 5,000 more were saved as well. So it grew to 8,000 plus in a matter of a few days, weeks or so after Pentecost. And then it began to spread more and more with the apostles and with Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, we've just seen in this particular chapter if you read it, you will see where Paul was converted. Paul was saved and became a very powerful apostle serving with Peter and John and the others. So it also began to spread even more beyond the Jewish people now to the Gentiles because Colossians 2 tells us that the middle wall of partition is broken down and we are all made one in Yeshua Jesus so how did the church grow so rapidly and so quickly, but so soundly? Now, this is not a message about growth in numbers. I'm not trying to tell you we need to grow to this mega church because many of the mega churches today are not solid in the word of God. They're not proclaiming the word of God. They're, they're all about emotional experiences or numbers or, or this, that, or the other, social club, whatever it is. But they're not about the things that God cares about. They're not about true biblical church growth and expansion. They're not about the making of disciples, which is what the church should be all about, preaching the gospel and bringing in the lost to Jesus, introducing them to Jesus, welcoming them into the family of God, and then growing them as disciples, helping them. So that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about church growth. It's talking about not just in numbers. Numbers don't matter as much as spiritual discipleship and maturity. And so here in chapter 9, verse 31 of Acts, we see two specific ways in which the church grows healthily. One is they were walking or they had a lifestyle where they were traveling and continuing on their journey in the way that they started the journey, in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? It doesn't mean you're shuddering all the time and scared to death that he's got some big stick and he's going to hit you with it 
if you do any little thing slightly wrong. That is not what it means. But Solomon spoke often in the wisdom books, and so did many others, of the fear of the Lord and its benefits. One thing that Solomon teaches us is it is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord really is speaking of that holy reverence, that holy awe or respect or fear of the Lord in the sense of the fear that you would do anything that, that would cause you to either be displeasing to him or be separated from him in any way. You want to honor him. You want to stay close to him. And so because of that, you respect who he is. He is holy. He is just. He is worthy of our service. And so we have that reverence and that respect for him. I've heard it defined before as hating what God hates and loving what God loves. Always seeking to honor him and to please him. Standing in respect and awe of him. And then it says that coupled with the fear of the Lord that we walk in, that we continue in, is also the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we want to talk about the comfort today, the comfort of grace. It's a calling near or an invitation, especially when, when we're in need and we need help. But notice this, the comfort is coming from the Holy Spirit. It is a cheering and supporting influence. I love that definition. A cheering and supporting influence. It's as if the Holy Spirit is like a, a cheerleader, one who cheers us onward, one who supports us, one who encourages us on the journey. It's speaking of the encouragement and the refreshing that we get from the Holy Spirit, especially when we want to give up. It's that persuasiveness, that persuasive discourse that helps us carry on when we feel like we cannot go on anymore. God's own comfort is delivered to us through the agent of grace, the Holy Spirit, the one who Jesus called our paracletus, our comforter, the one Jesus promised and God gave at Pentecost. Notice the beauty of the comfort of the Holy Spirit's work. It's a cheering work. It's helping us. It's, it's being happy about our accomplishments and helping us when we need help, supporting us, encouraging us, comforting us, picking us up whenever we mess up, giving solace and aid as we need it. It's like one who will pick you back up and get you to try again. Many of us have had children or grandchildren and worked with them, seen them, watched them as they're learning, say, to ride a bike. Well, they don't get it right the very first time. They start off and everybody is, woohoo, this is exciting and all of this. But then what happens? If you let go of the bike, that child eventually will fall at first. They'll fall over. They don't quite have the hang of it, so to speak, yet. 
So you go alone. A father or a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother might be right there and help them make sure they haven't skipped their knee, scraped their knee off or whatever, and then help them pull the bike back up and help them get right back on it when they fall and give them the encouragement. Come on, you can do it. Don't quit. You Let's try it again. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. You see, that's that cheering on. That's that comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's that encouragement to try again and to go for it again and to not quit. And eventually, that child, guess what? Learns to ride the bike the right way. And before long, you are literally standing in the cheering squad back behind them and they're going around and around the cul-de-sac or down the road and back or whatever. And you're just cheering, woohoo! What a great job you did. That's so awesome. And it's an exciting thing. So the Holy Spirit gives that kind of comfort to us. Yes, he picks us back up when we fall down. Yes, he gives solace and aid to us when we need it. But he also cheers us on, encourages us, and helps us to make it through. These two specific and powerful tools, both the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, bring church growth because it brings growth, comfort, aid, and encouragement to all, to individuals, to families, to friends, to teams, to brothers and sisters in the Lord. Praise be to God. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. This is only one place that proves it. Every one of us need encouragement and comfort along the way, period. That's the truth. And God knew that. God knew that we would grow weary at times. God knew that we'd be discouraged at times. God knew that we might even skin our knees, so to speak, at times. And we needed help. And so he has sent us the promise of the Father, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God. Comfort also comes through another means. It is the Word of God. As we've already seen, we know that the Word of God is quick, alive, and powerful, useful for many things, including what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, which you might call the four pillars of what the Word of God works in us. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in right living, all of which make us equipped and complete for what God has called us to do. It also, we saw in the last episode, cuts us when we need it, but always to make us healthier and better. So let's understand now how the Word of God also is a very comforting book, and it brings comfort and encouragement to us. Let's read Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. And it says this, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification or the building up of someone, the encouragement, the strengthening of them. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So in this context, Paul is talking about bearing one another's burdens in love and in tenderness, providing aid, assistance, and encouragement as needed and not doing it for selfish reasons. So he tells us in this context that all the things that were written beforehand were written for us to learn from, to learn from those examples of Scripture. All the Scriptures were written for our learning for our instruction and teaching. It's like these have become instructors in a class that we're in, in a classroom, from whom we should take note, study, and learn from their examples. Because these examples, coupled with patience, which is that constant and cheerful endurance, also with our comfort from the scriptures, will give us hope will give us joyful or eager expectation of good. Not a maybe, not a, well, I kind of hope it happens, but I really don't know if it will or not. No, it's a joyful and eager expectation of the good that God said would happen. You believe him. In these, we find lots of comfort and things that build our faith and give us hope, even in our trials, too. Let's talk about just a few examples. Abraham and his son Isaac is an example of how God who promised is faithful and able to do what he said. Because Abraham was way too old to have this son. But God overcame that and gave him the son Isaac from his own body with Sarah. Another one, Abraham is tested to offer that beloved son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah, but he found that God is trustworthy. God never would have accepted a human sacrifice, but this was a test of Abraham's faith in the living God, and Abraham found God that he was very trustworthy And not only that, but in that example, we see a beautiful example of Jesus as our substitute as well. Another example is when David sinned gravely with Uriah and Bathsheba. Yet that teaches us that God is merciful and will forgive even grievous sin when there is sincere repentance. We see another example. Job was severely tested by God, yet God kept him and blessed him and multiplied him in the end. We see examples through scripture about grief during times of loss or death. We see examples such as when Jesus wept over Lazarus. We see example when Jesus wept over Jerusalem who had rejected him as a whole, as a nation. We see an example in Jonah, where he tried to run away and forget what God had called him to do. He didn't want to do it. But God followed him, saw him, and had mercy on him, and then gave him a second chance. 
And the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah, the same word. God was faithful and good and merciful to him in that situation. Praise be to God. We see how God provides for his people even in days of famine. When he fed Elijah, for instance, and when he provided for the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite widow. So God is a good God, and God is a God who will provide even in days of famine. So we learn these are just a few examples of so many things that the scriptures were written to show us, to teach us, and to give us comfort through what God has written for us. The Bible is filled with examples for us, no matter what we are going through or what we are dealing with. The psalmist also speaks in Psalm 119 about the Word of God and its powerful work. And in Psalm 119, I want to read verses 49 and 50. Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. So here the psalmist is also speaking about the comfort of the scriptures. This rhema word, this living word that God gave to him, that God spoke to him, has caused him to hope. And it is his comfort in his affliction. And when God will grant us that, when God will give us those words, those specific promises, those rhema words that come alive in its season, right, jumping right, right off the page, so to speak, we need to cling to those because that is our comfort. That is our sword of the spirit, so to speak, that Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 6, and we cling to that. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 and 10, it speaks of one of David's mighty men, and it said that he defeated the Philistines and that he kept his sword and he held it so tightly that his hand clave to the sword. It was, it was almost as if it grew into his hand, so to speak. It was so tight that this man held it. We need to cleave to the sword of God's word. It is our weapon that brings us hope and victory and is our comfort in our affliction. The scriptures themselves bring comfort. We see that in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the comfort there removes the fear why? Because God's word reminds us that God is with us. We are not alone, even in dark, dark valleys. Faith in God's word also brings comfort because God is faithful and does what he promised. In this same Psalm 119, verse 76, it says this, Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. So here again, the psalmist knows of God's great mercy according to his word and his promises. We also see that God is the source of all of our comfort. 
and he supplies it to us through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, and through his own Son. I want us to look next at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So God is the source of all comfort, no matter what method it comes in or in what form, it all comes from him. But he gives us comfort so that we can then comfort others too in the same or similar ways. In Isaiah 61 verse 2, one of the things that the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus to do was to comfort those who mourn. To bring comfort to us, the Lord will do that. And the last thing I want to point out about comfort is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want us to read verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, or those who have died, is what he's talking about, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There is also comfort that comes from the word of God regarding the return of our Lord, especially in regard to what we call the rapture for his church, for his bride. The word rapture simply means that catching away, that catching up. It's the Greek word harpazo, and it means to seize or to snatch away. Beloved friend, we may have differences of opinion on when that happens. I personally believe it will happen soon before any of the tribulation happens. I, I do believe that. I still do. I have my main reasons for doing that. I've taught on the book of Revelation. I've taught about these things in the past in many other ways. And you can certainly look those up if you're interested. You may have a difference of opinion on that. But rather than arguing about the timing, let us just remember there's comfort in knowing that our Lord is coming for us. We are pilgrims here. We are going home. And we are going home to be with Jesus. And Paul says that this subject and this truth that we look forward to 
realizing we are only pilgrims here, brings comfort to us when we receive this word and its promise. Jesus is coming for us, and that brings us great comfort. I want to close out with one final scripture. In John chapter 14, I want to read verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms or chambers, some versions say. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Paul said that this topic should bring us comfort, and we should be able to comfort one another with these words. Grace also provides great comfort to us. And I do want to finish out with one final scripture. The very last scripture that I want to read is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to read verses 16 and 17, and I so concur with Paul's desire here. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I simply concur with Paul and pray in Jesus' name, Lord, may it be so. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes as we begin to wrap up the Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.